0: As long as you are happy with yourself, um, then that's okay. You don't have to be anything that anyone wants you to be. Just be happy with who you are.
1: Also cope with the traumas. Lots of people just internalize the traumas and never deal with the issues. And it always resurfaces in ways at the times when they're stressed or when they really need to be able to cope. And so therapy is a collaborative way of actually working with someone to help them understand themselves better so that they can
2: think, feel and behave in ways that would actually enhance their life. Your trauma is just so important um, as as you think like, this is not something I want to talk about. Speak out, be your own voice. Um, And in your world, your trauma is big enough for you. So um, I think the really thing is speak out because... Your world is also important, and you are important.
3: When I would perform, when I'd sing, when
2: I'd write
3: music, it's like I'm the perfect me. I'm only me. The like I'm the best me that I can be at the moment. When I so music has been my um, way of expressing myself.
4: Mm -hmm. My name is Ryan Fortune, and I'm your host uh for this fourth episode and uh also for the previous three but this time in the studio we have with us a a, a very a different panel to the one we had before um and so uh I feel slightly intimidated because the the ladies in front of me are all qualified psychologists they 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 they've they've they deal with these issues on a on a daily basis in their work they teach other people uh how to deal with these issues in communities and um so without uh Feeling too overwhelmed I'm going to introduce them Uh, In the studio right in front of me I have uh, Geraldine Franciscus Who is the head of psychology At Cornerstone Institute uh, In Cape Town She's been there for quite some time I think she may have been there since the the beginning Is it? No 20 years uh, 20, 20 years I think Geraldine just come a little bit forward And speak into the mic uh, so Geraldine, yeah, uh, in, in front of me, she's going to be helping me, I guess, in this conversation to to steer the conversation. Um, and uh, to my right, we have Hebukazi Mtati. Yes. yes. Hebukazi Mtati. And uh, Hebukazi is a clinical psychologist, uh, a former ballroom dancer, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> But she's here. she's going to talk to us uh, about uh, g- give us some insight into some of the things that uh, we can do when we face uh, a mental health crisis. Uh, she's going to be talking about some of the coping mechanisms, and uh, hopefully uh, we can also get to, her uh, to talk about some of the studies that she's done into. Uh, Child readiness or readiness for 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 school uh, some of the issues she 's uh, researched, and to my left we have uh, Dr Odette uh who is uh, sitting to my left uh, above Let me just see that i, I you 're not blocked by entirely by my computer screen, and so Odette is uh, a psychology lecturer at cornerstone institute and she's also going to be talking to us uh, being being part of this conversation um i think maybe just to start off with uh, we'll start off in a sort of very uh, relaxed way to get into the conversation maybe geraldine tell me about uh your role at cornerstone and what that entails long, you know some background about yourself and then we'll get into the the meat of the of the
1: interview so I started at Cornerstone in 2001 as a lecturer after having completed my master's in counselling psychology. And over the years, I've lectured practically all the subjects there. I've been involved in developing student services at Cornerstone Institute as well. And I just love working with students and seeing them develop, seeing the development as they come in and as they go out and how they actually make a difference and impact on lives. Mm-hmm. So I, I predominantly teach the psychopathology modules at Cornerstone, and that's really looking at psychological disorders as well and equipping our students. We our have B-Psych equivalent students, and they go out and do um, counseling in community settings. So that's a big part of my role. Then I have a team of about 12 lecturers, very awesome lecturers, I must say, um, who really are so eager to impact students' lives and just to see them flourish. Mm -hmm. So at Cornerstone, we're not just interested in your academics. We're also interested in seeing you develop personally. So we're interested in the holistic person, and that's how we run our psychology department. Mm -hmm. We teach in a very interactive way. We don't just lecture. It's engagement with students. It's students doing presentations. We also do lots of practical activities. So we go out to sites, so... In my module, usually before lockdown, we'd actually visit a psychiatric hospital. So many students want to be clinical psychologists, but they're not always sure what that entails. So we give them real-life experiences of what it would be like to be a psychologist. Um, so that's the way we mm-hmm. engage with our students.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, how many? How many students would you say in your career at Cornerstone have you have you? Uh, helped along the way? Have you seen through, to, through the doors of, of Cornerstone? If you were to put the number to it?
1: I would hope to say that it was at least a thousand students okay. over the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and many of them have gone on to do even greater things than many of us at Cornerstone. Mm-hmm. So even Sibukazi year in the studio was used to be a Cornerstone honor student. She's now a clinical psychologist and we're so proud of the many accomplishments of our students. Students are running NGOs. Hope House Counseling Center is run by Mandy Danoon as the manager, and she was a Cornerstone student as well. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. just great to see them going out and actually making a real difference.
4: Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the sort of impact that uh, that Cornerstone has had in our communities over the past 20 years. So, so it's huge, I, I would guess. Um, I want to talk to Hebukazi. Um, I'm going to struggle with you name a bit because it's. Uh, I'll get it. After you're doing well. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, yeah, tell me a bit about uh, your your work as a clinical psychologist. Does that mean you're going out into communities? You're dealing with with people face to face and and their issues. How does that work? What What would be a typical day, for example, in 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 your life?
0: Okay. So currently I work at uh, Kailisha District Hospital. I'm also overseeing two clinics in the Kailisha area. Um, I work face to face with patients. We also have some patients that we see via Zoom, um, online, um, mm. depending on, you know, how vulnerable they are in terms of, you know, COVID-19. Um, so my day to day, It's suicide attempts for me. That's what I deal with on a daily basis without a fail. Um, especially when I'm at the, at the hospital. Um, but at the smaller clinics, what I see most of the time is trauma. It's trauma after trauma. So I do, you know, individual therapy with these patients. Um, we do grief therapy. Um, we do, play therapy even with the kids, uh, and therapy with the parent and the child, and, and the child if there's an attachment problem. So we try to, you know, see the whole family sometimes just to make sure that, um, those who are affected, because, Mental health or a mental illness doesn't just affect the person. It affects the community. It affects the people living in that household. So we have to sort of psychoeducate the families around those issues. So that's what I deal with on a daily basis. Um, it's usually a full day for me. I see back-to-back patients. Um with a short break but yeah that's
4: what sounds, i do it sounds pretty intense <laughs> yeah um, um, yeah i mean i can't i can't imagine how, how that would be yeah, So, see so how, how do how do, we, how do you as someone dealing with those kind of issues how do you uh, d- deal with them yourself you know because you i mean i i've spent i remember uh, i used to work at doctors without borders before and i, I remember spending a week in a refugee camp that had just mm-hmm. sprung up overnight and I was talking peop, I was commun- collecting stories of people you know telling us about their recent experience of xenophobia and all of that. And I remember by the end of that week I was completely drained. I, I was you know uh, how do you deal with that? I mean just listening because you get some kind of secondary kind of trauma just listening mm-hmm. to people's stories. How, how does one deal with that in, in your role?
0: You know there's a paper by Louise Frankel that says you, you get used to it. Um, However, as psychologists, you just don't get used to it. I think when doctors work with uh, patients, they work with a certain part of that patient's body. We work with emotions. We work with what the person brings. So we have to, to... provide that containment and a holding environment for them um, and to show that what they bring is not too much that we're going to break down so sometimes you have to sit through the hardest um, emotions and emotional content that comes from this patient but you kind of have to hold it and contain them but how i deal with it um i I know, So I used to do ballroom dancing, but I don't do it competitively anymore. But my husband and I will just dance. Um, I think laughing is just very important. Um, I'm also in my own therapy where I'm able to debrief about what has come through. Because some of these issues that we face or some of these issues that our patients bring can sort of trigger our own stuff, Um, stuff from the past or Mm -hmm. things that are currently happening around us. I mean, with COVID-19, there's been so many losses. I've had my own. So when a patient comes and they've lost someone, it kind of triggers my own losses as well. Mm -hmm. But that's why there's supervision. And that's why there's also, you know, um, your own personal therapy. Mm -hmm. I also go to gym just to get that stress out of my body. And that helps me a lot. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Aboukazi. We'll come back and maybe talk a bit more about that a bit later. Uh, I want to turn to uh, Odette Galdanez, uh, Dr. Odette Haldines. Um what, what and and get a sort of a sense of how, how did you and why did you choose this this particular career path in, in your life? What what was the sort of? I want to get a sense of that perhaps before we get into the other details.
2: Um, thank you so much, Ryan. I think um, I think this path of this path actually chose me. <laughs> I remember when I started out, like, what are you going to study? And I wanted to be um, a lawyer or something. And I remember in high school, I always wanted to help people, but that's just part of me that's part of myself mm. and then I fell in love with this thing called psychology um, I really I think this uh, is because it's so so beautifully um, you, this vulnerability that people give to you that you can actually be part of in that therapeutic relationship this is such a gift that I would and give me such an adrenaline rush that people in that space that when you see a client or you see a patient mm. that's completely vulnerable in front of you and you are part of that space I've fell in love with that. I fell in mm. love that I can be with people there, I can help them on their path with healing, and I can mm. really make a change, not me, but in the therapeutic relationship, that co-partnership. Mm. So starting out, I just wanna, wanted to study something, then I actually fell in love with psychology, and I, I've never looked back. Mm. Um well, although it's it's really difficult sometimes on the road, and the said, yes, yeah, it's really difficult to bracket your emotions, and and you do get triggered, and you do. But I think, at my past sixteen, seven years of seventeen years of doing this, I think, and I had this aha moment of this vulnerability that my my patients or even my students bring to to the foreground. And I think I feel so honoured and and blessed to be part of that. Mm-hmm. So yes, that's how I fell in love. <laughs>
4: Fantastic. Yes, so. Uh, uh, listeners, you're at home now listening to the fourth episode of the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues um, and it's me, Ryan Fortune, your host this evening. Uh, we're talking about mental health awareness. Uh, mental health, I think, not necessarily awareness, but I think mental health in general and, and this topic which I think uh, for a lot of people, is often a quite is something that you don't really want to be associated with. There's often a lot of stigma attached to having mental health problems. I, I mean, I, I'm not not problems, but like some issue that you need to deal with, some healing or trauma that, that that's gone on in your life that you need to resolve in some way. Um, uh, I mean, I I, I remember. Uh, reaching some kind of personal crisis in my life and at some point deciding that I needed to go and understand why I was behaving in a certain way. And, and I, I went, I, I sat with the a psychologist, a psychiatrist for about a year in weekly sessions and, uh, 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 it was one of those things where all, all they did was really just listen to me for an hour every once a week. And at the end of it, you know, ask me a couple of questions here and there and, um, at the end of it, I was, I didn't see the point, you know, but I, I kind of committed to this year and I spent, I was there every day, religious, every week. And uh, I, I, I realized that at the end of that, I, I, I didn't, I hadn't learned anything about myself. I was just there, sort of spilling my guts, basically. And so I, I, I kind of developed a kind of skepticism, I would guess, about it. But I, you know, so, 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 what is it? I mean, when you say, you know, is, is that what mental health uh, uh, treatment is, is all about? You're sitting in and and sort of on a couch is that is that is that how it works but what is it really geraldine i'm going to throw that at you
1: i think there's so many different aspects to treatment Mm. specifically Mm. when you're looking at mental health Mm. some people need to learn new skills some people need to understand why the past triggers them and also cope with the traumas lots of people just internalize the traumas and never deal with the issues And it always resurfaces in ways at the times when they're stressed or when they really need to be able to cope. And so therapy is a collaborative way of actually working with someone to help them understand themselves better so that they can think, feel and behave in ways that would actually enhance their life. So, yes, some of it is about sitting on a couch and venting. It's a space where you can feel safe and contained. Mm. But Mm. some of it is also about developing new skills, new habits, understanding why your relationships seem to go in the same cycles over and over again and actually Mm. changing that. Mm. Mm. So the therapeutic space is there to give you that opportunity To actually learn new ways of coping, new ways of dealing things, creating new patterns, and also your brain is a very important part of it. A lot of people think it's just about spilling your guts and your emotions, but your brain is wired in a particular way. You send messages to your brain all the time, these automatic thoughts, thoughts about yourself, your self-esteem, your worth. And so part of therapy is also changing some of that and challenging if those thoughts are faulty and is distorted and is leading you to not live a fuller life, the life that you should be living. Mm. So therapy Mm. is about psychoeducation, it's about treatment, it's about, yes, having that space to just vent and open up and share your thoughts. But ultimately, it's also about you making decisions and choices. So you can benefit from therapy or it can just be a space where you feel like, I've just wasted my time. But a lot of it's also about
4: you. Yeah. Mm. What what do you want to get out, out, out of the experience? What you feel? You, what you choose to get out of the experience? I, I would guess. Yeah. So uh, I want to also talk about. We've obviously been through. I guess as an entire planet, a, a very strange and unusual two years now, going on almost two years, um, which uh, people have said there's been an increase in people facing mental health issues because we've been suddenly confined in in, in in with other people we may or may not like we may or may not know properly and and so it's really forced us to deal with some of the issues and 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 people maybe haven't had the tools to do that so so in the case of, of you you uh, Hey Bukazi, how long have you been working in Kailicha, and have you seen a change in the last two years? I I, I, I don't want to assume, but I'll, I'll ask.
0: So I've only been there for
4: a year. Oh, I see. So so but so so when you, you I mean, do you do you think that uh, the COVID pandemic and the isolation has really had an impact on people in 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 places like that? I mean, yeah. Yeah.
0: So most definitely. I mean. We as individuals exist within a context. Um, we, we are raised to be social beings. Mm-hmm. Um, even just getting that hug from a person is not something we can easily do nowadays. And we had to kind of adjust uh, to, to that. Um, and there's people who lived on hugs. Um, I, it may sound small, but there are people who took a lot of strength from that. Um, And, but what we've seen is that there were more relapses. So you get, so there's many different types of mental illnesses. You have, you know, schizophrenia, you've got bipolar, major depressive disorder, which is, which is known by many. There's anxiety disorders. And because of the lockdown, so many people couldn't have access to some of their medication. There were long lines or you had to make, you know, appointments were kind of impossible to make. So some people had relapsed, especially people with schizophrenia and bipolar, which you will find in, in the psychiatric wards. Mm. And, you you know, managing that is, is quite challenging, especially when some wards were changed or turned into COVID wards, uh, where we could not place these people. So when lockdown happened, I was working at Care. So mm. this is where I saw a lot of what I'm talking about right now. Mm. But in the context of, you know, a community like Kailicha, it's been very, very difficult for, for people because of the social isolation, like I said, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, not being able to have that conversation... With another person about what you're going through, hmm. therefore meaning you can't seek help because you don't know where to go. Hmm. So I've I've seen quite a bit of that.
4: Hmm. Tell
0: me in, in
4: in a context like um, I, I mean we so we live in South Africa and obviously there's uh, the, there are issues around access uh, to quality uh, mental health services. In a context like that, what is the availability of services? If someone is going through a crisis, what, what would be the first step? Or do, is it their family that calls calls a clinic, and people come and fetch them, or they have to? How, how does it work?
0: So there's different scenarios. Um, I'll give you maybe three. Um, so if you are feeling suicidal. Mm -hmm. need to go to the emergency um, section of the hospital
3: Mm
0: -hmm. um, or to your local clinic, and that means there will be an admission, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That's suicidal ideation with intent or a plan Mm -hmm. because we need to make sure that we contain that patient. So seek help immediately. So just go to your local health clinic or to the the hospital, the emergency side of the hospital. Um, And then... Second scenario is if, for example, someone has relapsed, someone maybe with, who was diagnosed with schizophrenia and the psychotic features and the, you know, there's just dist- kind of like behavior that is out of the ordinary and the family cannot handle that. Then the family just needs to contact the nearest clinic or the nearest hospital. They can always, they can always, um, contact the police station. To escort that patient to the hospital if they if they're fighting it. Um, and another route is that if you are feeling, um, you know, if you are feeling depressed, which is your mood has been low for at least p- for the past two weeks, you're feeling like you don't want to do the things that you used to enjoy doing. Your concentration is poor. You can't sleep. You can't eat um, These feelings of worthlessness Which usually turn into a suicidal behavior Then you kind of need to Go over to your, your nearest CHC Speak to the So you need to go to the mental health unit Of the, the local clinic And speak to a psychiatric nurse Who will do the assessment And then she'll refer to either psychiatry And psychology um, Or either or
3: mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. Okay Talking mental health awareness in uh, South Africa on the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues, uh, later on we're going to be joined by a young lady named Skylar Kalamdin, who is uh, the Eon Group Teen Idol 2021 finalist. Uh, she's a, a young singer, 18 years old. She has an amazing voice. Uh, She's going to be joining us in the studio and talking about how um, her music has been influenced by her journey and some of the issues she's had to face. And uh, we also are going to be playing uh, one of her songs, and then uh, discussing some of the issues that she's had to face. Right? Tell me, in, in this day and age, what what would be uh, if you are experiencing some kind of uh, problem? Uh, what would be uh, your your first step to do? Wh- who do you call basically in a situation when when, you've, when you when you can't deal anymore?
1: I think it's good if you can actually just tell someone who you're close to as a first step so that you don't feel so alone. But then there are several helplines that you can call as well. SADAC, South African Depression and Anxiety Group, and a number of other helplines is there to support people in the first stages of when they're just discovering they're not coping anymore. Call a friend, go to your GP if you see that it's impacting your health as well. But firstly, acknowledge to yourself that you're not coping. A lot of people are also not aware that they're struggling with something. They think that they should just get over something. But if it's gone on too long and you realise that things have really changed, you're not doing the same things that you used to do, you're struggling to sleep, you're just filled with anxiety and you can't stop your racing thoughts. First, acknowledge it to yourself. Then find someone, a friend, a family member, someone you can trust. And then if you need to go to your GP, go to your clinic, um... Join a support group as well. There's lots of support groups around Cape Town. There's online counseling options available. So there's several options open to you. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. Thank you, Geraldine. Geraldine is the uh, the head of psychology at Cornerstone Institute, which is uh, the sponsor and partner collaborator in this um, uh, series of talks that we that we're doing. Uh, of which I'm the host. Cornerstone Critical Dialogues which is what you're listening to. If you would like to uh, send a message to us or ask a question. There's a WhatsApp line that you can call. The number is 061-862-1065, 061-862-1065. Uh, Send us a WhatsApp message. You can uh, have your question or your comment uh, read on air uh, by myself. Uh, then we also are broadcasting live on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. If you are on any of those platforms, go to the Cornerstone page and also the uh, YouTube channel for Cornerstone Institute. Uh, you'll find us uh, live. You'll be able to see into the studio. And if you are, you will see that we are joined by a new person, uh, Skylar Kamaldin from Athlone. Uh, she is a, a young person who is grown up in Cape Town, uh, in the Athlone area. She is also a very talented singer. Uh, she was the EON Group Teen Idol finalist, twenty twenty one. Skyler, welcome to the show.
3: Hello, um, thank you for having me.
4: Can you can you tell me a bit about this uh, uh, this this contest, the EON Group Teen Idol finalist? How did how did that uh, come come about?
3: So, um, I first saw a flyer about it on Facebook and I thought, let's just try it. But I also thought I might not do it because I'm in matric, and I don't want to, um, I didn't want to, um, it, sorry, I'm extremely nervous. That's it's my first fine, time on fine, radio. The way,
1: yeah.
3: um, I didn't want to complicate things. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and actually, before the lockdown happened in this year, I I forgot about it And mm. then I just And then I did not I did not even get a notification I just, my school contacted my father Saying that I made it into the competition And from there It's been um, It's been really helpful In growing my confidence And mm. things So performing there has been extremely fun And my finals will be on the 18th of December
4: your your final exams?
3: No, the final oh. performance.
4: Oh, the final! Oh, it's still going. On. It's still yeah. going on. Okay, so I see what so what happened. So you did a, a sort of a first round, and you've made it into the finals. Is, yeah. is that what it is? There's then, been
3: a few rounds. A
4: few rounds. I see. How many finalists are there? They are ten. Okay, amazing. And so you and, you one of the ten.
3: Yes.
4: Um, and tell me something. So so you have a particular talent, right? Um, clearly, I've listened to some of the songs, um, and uh, you are a singer, r- yes. right now. Yes, well, <laughs> besides being in the trick. Um, uh, when when did you realize that you had, or people around you you realized that you had something special? You had a gift.
3: So music's been in my life since I was extremely young. My mother's a singer. My mm-hmm. father's a singer and a producer. So. I never really took to music well until I became, until the age of like 12 13 and then it became my passion because um, of experiencing bullying and things like that it just became an escape a way to cope with it like when i was writing music or when i was performing or singing it it was like my only my opinion method, and nobody else was around so music became mm-hmm.
4: the thing. so I you had. write your own songs uh, um, as well
3: i write my own songs but i haven't um released any of my own songs okay my own written
4: okay fantastic um i'm going to ask you to do something uh, if you if you're too nervous to do it you can say and then and then we'll, we'll move on but uh I listened to some of the songs And, and I, I mean I think you have I know obviously there's studio and music production That, that happens in the uh, in the studio uh, But it seems to me that you have A, a very strong And unique voice So I'm going to ask you maybe To sing a cappella, Just a few lines Just so that, that the listeners at home Can get a sense of of, of, of your talent Without all the, the, the post-production That happens in the studio Would, would you mind? Okay Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, listen, So you're listening to the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues, and uh, uh, right now we have in the studio 18 year old Skyler Kalamdin, uh, who is uh, about to write a trick soon or in the middle of you
3: know. today.
4: <laughs> okay. Good good luck with your with your metric. But she's also a very talented singer and uh, has used uh, her is using her music to deal with some of the issues she's faced around uh, bullying at school. So, uh, w- w- what are you going to do for us now, Scala? You're going to you're going to sing. Yeah. Uh, okay. A song called um... Don't sing the whole okay. song. I just no. really okay. Oh, no. okay.
3: Okay. Great. Summer nights, drinking wine by the fire, catching up. Mm, no, 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 no You're looking good Wish I could Tell you I was over us But I get high every night When I'm all alone Cause it helps me forget That I'm feeling low Told you I was doing fine It's a lie You should know
4: Oh my goodness Oh my goodness! I just had uh, like the hair on my, on my arms. <laughs> that's that's beautiful. That's amazing.
3: Thank
4: you. Uh, so 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 you you've been singing for how long?
3: Um, since you about home? five six years.
4: Five six years. Okay. And um, someone sent me a song that you did when you were, sounded like you were about. I
3: was twelve.
4: Twelve years old, and but you've had these, this voice since since then already. Yeah. W- weren't your parents, weren't they like? Today?
3: well my father produced the song, I see. so. Okay. We...
4: okay. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm, uh, guys, so that's Skylar Cullum Cal- uh, in, in the studio. I, I'm a bit, uh, uh, yeah, wow, wow, that's just amazing. Can you tell me, Skylar about your experience? Uh, you were talking about having been bullied at school. What, what, what happened there? And, and how did you, how was music an outlet for you?
3: Um, from the age of like 10, 11, um, I, I had epilepsy. So I had seizures and obviously children don't really understand what's going on. So mm-hmm. they would always bully me about that, make fun of that. Mm-hmm. Then I went on medication, picked up weight. Then it would be appearance problems and weight. Mm-hmm. And all of those played a role in me feeling Imperfect, basically. Mm. And um, when I would sing, it would be like normally I would hide away. Every time I'd go outside, I'd want to look perfect, try and sound perfect, try and do everything right. But when I would perform, when I'd sing, when I'd write music, it's like I'm the perfect me. I'm only me. The Like I'm the best me that I can be at the moment mm. when I so music has been my um, way of expressing myself Mm
4: -hmm. fantastic, awesome Um, are are some of those kids that bullied you, are they still still around or do you still see some of them yes (laughs) (laughs) and uh, what do they say now?
3: now like there's a few of them that still they will still have their say Mm. but for me it it doesn't matter anymore and in this, the few that now change the look, outlook on me when they mm. see I'm performing or something. And they mm. congratulate me and things like that. So,
4: oh, okay, fantastic, amazing. Scarlett Kalambin, guys, uh, listeners at home, uh, a young talented singer. She's in the Eon Group Teen uh, Idols uh, contest. Uh, final performance uh, in on the 18th of December. You said. Yes. Um where where's that going to be? At
3: the Eon Group. At the Eon Group
4: in Joseph Josephstone. And people can buy tickets, they can yeah. attend, they can they, they can come there and see you perform and, and the rest of the the, the the finalists. I'm going to play a song uh that you sent us called uh, the one you mentioned, I guess called Imperfect. Um and that I think will will also blow people away i listened to it this afternoon uh, on my phone and i was like wow this this is something else so let's listen to imperfect by skylar kalamdin a year of uh firsts for her uh she's uh in matric and i guess uh life is uh about to change today. Is the first time you're on the radio which i think we're honored we'll, we'll remember this when you when you to Hollywood, <laughs> uh, but we are here in the studio talking about mental health. It being Mental Health Awareness Month in South Africa is—is is this a worldwide uh, thing, or is it just in South Africa, Geraldine?
1: So different countries celebrate um, Mental Health Month different times, but there is World Health uh, World Mental Health Day, the tenth of October.
4: Okay, um, and, and, and tell me. I mean, I grew up in a. I grew up in a in a in a time. I don't want to tell you exactly when, but <laughs> now I will. But I mean, I I I grew up in the seventies. I was born in the nineteen seventies, in the in the early seventies, and so I I come from a time when the issue of mental health was all. There was a huge stigma attached to it. You, you know, you'd always. I mean, the only awareness that you really had was of the crazy person walking down the street, or you know, who lived. I mean, in my grandmother's. Um, garden. There was a, a a guy who lived there for many years. He just slept in the in the garden, but he, he clearly had mental health issues. And, and but he was this guy that. My grandmother sort of uh, adopted. He was this feature of my childhood, and he was, you know, this sort of crazy guy who didn't really speak, but he he lived there for for. Yeah, I I grew up in that time when, if you had an issue, mental issue, you were either crazy or there was a certain derogatory words that were used to, to label you. Um, has, has this changed at all in recent years or do you find it changing? Is it changing fast enough uh, where there's a gr- greater acceptance and, and less stigma of, of these issues?
1: I think stigma is still a very huge issue. Um, a couple of years ago, we visited a psychiatric hospital with the students and we were told there by the occupational therapist that people would often say once they've been at, um, at a psychiatric hospital, They said in order to go back to the community, they would rather say that they were in prison than actually say they were at a psychiatric facility because they'd be more accepted. So I think months like this where awareness is really created and psychoeducation makes a big difference, but we still have quite a long way to go. we mental health is concerned and um, just accepting. and, And a lot of the times the stigma is around not knowing or not knowing what to expect or being afraid So it's a lack of understanding and education often. So there's been improvements, but it's still quite slow. Stigma is still quite a big thing. And also just people coming to terms with it it themselves as well, because of the movies and popular media that portrays mental health, sometimes in a negative way. Hmm. Fortunately, more programs are portraying mental health In a in a, in a a better light these days than in the past Before you had movies like The Cuckoo's Nest And Hannibal Lecter And that was the kind of movies that portrayed mental health hmm. um, And so most people with mental health conditions are not dangerous And people have the sense that people with mental health conditions um, Especially if they have serious mental health conditions Is often dangerous And that's really just not the case hmm. Often we... Endanger people with mental health conditions because we don't manage or, or treat them appropriately.
0: Mm,
4: mm, 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 mm. Yeah. So slight changes, things changing, but not fast. Not fast enough. Um, there was a question I wanted to ask about the the the, the relation between. Um, I mean, uh, there, there's there's your sort of individual. Um, mental sort of stability I would guess but then there's also the factor of uh, the context in which you live we can either um, make things worse or you, you know and I, I guess that, that has to do with the relationships that you're in and I know that you uh, Odette uh, have, have studied the, the, the question of relational well-being. Can you tell us a bit about that? What do, what does it actually mean and, and how does one sort of yeah? Um,
2: I think like because as said we are we're not made to be alone <laughs> definitely not Um, and when I did my my PhD my research in a very very lovely community um, and I think what what made me so aware of that the well-being we usually see is is constructs like I want to be I want to have be married and have 2.4 children and a dog and a picket fence and certain constructs in life then it it sounds wonderful and when people don't get that what is my well-being then and when I worked in this um, my, my research was about. About well being in a low and high risk community. And um, the resilience of these people, the well being that I saw was even although they didn't have certain things in life. Why could I label them as their well-being not being? What is the box that I put them in? Mm-hmm. And I think the whole thing about what made me so more did the research with the relational is that would help them when they have difficult times. The community mm-hmm. came together when they have struggles at home. The community came together. I think the well-being that I always thought that I needed to be, okay, my mental health. I need to check that little box. Mm-hmm. I never, never touched. I think I knew it was a holistic. Approach. Approach, but that <coughs> community really made me realise that relational well-being is actually the glue that keeps us together because mm. when I have a problem I'm going to go to my neighbour that community showed me that I think Geraldine said it perfectly, the stigma is still there about what is mental health or can I go same with someone and are going to judge me and well, I felt so amazed that they invited me and showed me that although I don't have X, Y, and Z, um, the relational well-being is so much richer and so much stronger that it actually made me look at 360 in my life. And I worked on my relationships 10 times more. I think yeah, yeah. it was important for me to understand that, yes, Um, um, the quality and the vulnerability and just being me. I don't, I don't, I think in our profession, sometimes we, we don't show a lot of ourselves. We'd like very professional. Mm. We keep, um, we really don't want to counter transference. And then when I met this community or work with them, I really, I really let a bit of guard down just to build on becoming aware that that's actually in tough times and we're helping I think relational well-being really made me um, again fell in love with our, yeah. our occupation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Geraldine, I want to talk
4: a bit about, I mean, uh, being a student, since uh, Cornerstone is an institute of, of higher learning, I think uh, being a student any, anyway is quite a stressful experience for anyone, you know, if you're under pressure of uh, exams and deadlines and all of this kind of thing. D-d-d- what kind of services are are, are there available for students, particularly when and maybe at Cornerstone, where 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 they find where they need to seek help uh, in that sort of context?
1: So at Cornerstone, we have a student service, a student development and counselling services is offered at Cornerstone under the direction of Beverly Dankers, who's also currently a student studying to further knowledge. So she's a BSAC equivalent student, and several of our students. Um, Who've studied counselling also come back to Cornerstone and they offer services to students. So, psychoeducational workshops, stress management, time management, and also if they're just struggling, struggling with something like depression or anxiety, these services available. Counselling services available for them.
4: Um, in 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 schools, um, I mean, I read a, a frightening statistic a, a, a while back, which had to do with. Um, the lack of i guess social workers in schools or the the number of social workers uh, at at South African schools seemed to be i think there was something like uh one psychologist for about ten thousand you know some some crazy sure. figure like that just just the fact that um in a context where actually you need people who are able to deal with family issues and and that sort of thing, you, you there's such a such a lack. Uh, are a lot of social workers also psychologists, or is there a school psychologist is that someone different? What is the sort of prevalence of of psychologists at schools in in South Africa?
1: I think you were correct when you said the number is alarming. One psychologist to mm. so many schools. Mm. And so we are so proud that we, with our practicum students, our B-Psych equivalent students, many of them are placed in schools. So registered counsellor is another category other than a psychologist who also play quite a big role in schools. So there's educational psychologists that work in school, registered counsellors. Social workers, are, it's it's different to a psychologist. Some of the social workers are also trained Clinically, so some of them do counselling, some of them do more placement um, and look at the home circumstances and environment and make a difference there where students need to, post, learners need to be placed or removed from homes. Mm. But there are social workers who also counsel.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you, Geraldine. Geraldine is the head of psychology at the uh, Cornerstone Institute in Cape Town. We're talking all things mental health, mental health awareness uh, in your communities, in your homes. And also the stigma we spoke about earlier on, the 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 still prevalent stigma around uh, issues of mental health that we need to deal with. And especially in this time of uh, COVID and isolation, pandemic, fear, grief, uh, all of these issues that this pandemic has brought to the fore. And we have seen a rise in incidences of mental health uh, crisis uh, crisis moments in people's lives and so uh, as as we navigate this strange time these things will continue to to, to to appear to be prevalent in our communities, maybe to an even greater extent, especially as the economy suffers, people lose their jobs, people lose, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of loss that, that has happened over the past year in so many different ways. Uh, we've lost uh, our, our, I mean, I sometimes go out these days and uh, people don't even know how to shake hands or, you know, there's no hugging is allowed. There's no, you know, and it's all a bit weird and awkward and we're not getting, I guess, the full... Uh, the fullness of life that we that we become uh, we used to be accustomed to before uh, we can't go to funerals or big gatherings and and so it's all of these factors that are really just making things slightly more stressful, slightly more anxiety inducing, and, um, and maybe we need help. We need we need to reach out to people when things get a bit too much, and it's okay to do that. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to. To uh, be in need of some kind of assistance, it's not. Uh, there's nothing shameful about it because we all sometimes go through these these moments in our lives. Life is not perfect, mm-hmm. and so it's important that we we know that it's not a bad thing. And if you are if you are having a, 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 an issue or a crisis moment, there are numbers to call. There are people to speak speak to that uh, are ready there to help you. Uh, navigate whatever it is that you are going through. Um, I want to talk to you guys now in the studio with me, uh, Dr. Geraldine, um, uh, doctor? No. Geraldine Franciscus, Dr. Odette Chaldanese, and Aboukazi Mtati in front of me. Uh, A panel, a full panel of women in front of me. I feel, I feel like (laughs) a bit in the firing line here, but that's okay. Um, and I want to talk to you guys about what it is that uh, people can do in this day and age. Given, given the, the, the fact that it sometimes may be quite difficult or you know to get access to services or you know what are things that people can do in the meantime to relieve stress and 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 maybe you know uh yeah easy things that people can do what, what are the things that maybe you do in your own lives that uh, that help you anyone can go um
2: okay great like that's not. Um, I think um, this is a, something that's very dear to my heart. Um, I always say I practice what I preach. I think the coping mechanism that is really, and it's sometimes a cliche as well, um, but I, I, I tried it with my own in my own life is definitely um, the fitness. Not fitness like I want to, want to have a six pack by the end of Friday, but fitness and the, the matter that we really have that holistic approach because it's mind, body, and soul. Uh-huh. I remember three years ago, I was like, "I'm rather just going to sit on the couch and I'm just going to eat some, some bacha piece and I'm going to feel I'm fine. I'm really fine." And I remember my son asked me, "Mom, can you just quickly run up the stairs?" And I ran up that stairs, and I couldn't catch my breath, and I was so I was so disappointed in myself, and I started this journey about really incorporating. Movement. I I call it fitness. Let's call it movement. Um, starting to be more active, really. Um, so that coping mechanism in the line of work that we do, I think for me, if I can do. One step, I can help one client. If I can do one burpee, I can be I can be more patient with my son. If I can do certain things in my life, in, and and now I'm at to a stage that it's part of my routine. Fitness or movement is part of my routine, and I, I really try and help my students and my and my clients as well. That giving this holistic approach, this coping mechanism is definitely don't have to be something that you see up to. I really want to go. Don't want to gym. You don't have to gym. You can have a friend have that, that, that partnership, um, go for a walk or, um, I think movement for me really actually had this more psychoeducation from what my body, body can do, my mind can do as well. And I think that connection that I made, it was, and, and, and I have my friends actually saying that, um, I know I can't phone you between five and six. You're going to be in the gym. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm in my happy place. Um, so my coping mechanisms, I think, where I really want to encourage people. Is really, really try and find um, that holistic approach and, and and movement for me on fitness and and doing that, pushing your boundaries because we are made so wonderfully. Our brain, our mind is mm. it's so amazing, and we uh, we tap into it's so little by time because we have a red race or a rat race, or we we are, we're moms, we're busy, we all dads, mm. even dads, um, and then even you don't dads, yes. even dads, <laughs> you're busy, and then we don't have time for us. So self-care is definitely a thing that Geraldine told us very well in our department. we always say Geraldine asks, did you do some self-care today? I'm like, yes, thank you, Geraldine, I did. Um, So she really checks in (laughs) with our mental health as well. Um, But definitely that's one coping mechanism that I really, really, like I said, I did it with myself. Um, It's not a thing that I I really just really believe in it. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people on social media, the body coach, a lot of people is actually doing this and saying mental health. And movement has a mm. big effect in, in dolphins and, mm. and
4: so forth mm. and so mm. on. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. True, mm. yes. And I think, yeah, I think that's. I think it's very important. I think uh, in the first uh, episode of the the critical dialogues, we we spoke about a bit about that that uh, outlet. Let's to call it an outlet yes. for some of the the issues that you you may be experiencing, and how uh, I think there was a phrase that I and I'm going to repeat it again uh, is. Uh, if uh, well, <laughs>
2: yeah, I watched it. You, you you quoted Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, yes,
4: yeah. yes, that was the quote. Uh, Train the body and the mind will, will follow. follow. <laughs> Train the body and the mind will follow. Yes, and I think yeah, every everyone should have it up on their wall somewhere or on their fridge somewhere, and just as a reminder that. um you know, once you start moving and, and and feeling your your what your body can do, it really is an empowering thing. And I, I think um, also we did also spoke about the fact that Cape Town in particular is a very beautiful city. It's summer now. There's lots of outdoor things you can do. You don't have to do it. You know, you can get out in nature, not be confined to uh, closed spaces, away from your computers, away from all the Zoom and the Teams meetings that that keep us stuck on on our, our devices, and just get out there and move and and these are also ways that we can avoid or avert us getting to the moment of crisis I guess uh, it allows us to see the world with a different set of eyes. Uh, one of the things that I, I remember when, I, from a few years ago is when uh, the, the, even the, the fact of how people meet it can be can be changed can be transformed now, i remember this i met this guy and he said to me no i don't do i don't do meetings in the office i don't do meetings sit down meetings and i was like well what do you mean he says no, no no let's go and walk on on table mountain let's go you know let we'll we'll, we'll walk uh, take a little way up the path and that's going to be our meeting and it was just uh, an amazing thing we chatted and we, that was our meeting mm-hmm. and so there, there are different ways we do we don't have to do things the same way as as always as we've always done we can we can adapt we can change and and find better ways, I guess, uh, to deal with some of these issues. So earlier on, we spoke to um, a young lady uh, who uh, is going to join us a bit later, Skyler Din uh, I'm going to going to have her in the studio again uh, because she's an absolute an absolute talent, uh, young talent um, in in uh, in Cape Town. She's part of the Ian Group. Teen idols finalist contest that's happening out in Athlone um, she's at school and she, she mentioned that she experienced bullying at school and and um, uh, I, as a parent I've also had to deal with uh, my daughter being bullied or you know teased at school for certain reasons and um uh, I had to you know consider what what does one do in a situation like this or why i mean i 've always wondered why I mean I, I grew up in a in, in a time when bullying was just that was just what happened you know you didn 't even think about it. it was you got bullied or you were either the bully or you bullied someone else and teased or you know so 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 bullying as a factor is is really um, come to the fore also I guess in recent years you know the pe- people uh, Sometimes the young people being driven to the point of suicide, I guess, because of bullying, and also in the in the social media world where online bullying is also a thing, and, and kids at school can often gang up on each other on, on, on other kids without actually being present. This is what what happens. Um, are our schools e- equipped enough to deal with, with this with this phenomenon? Are is there is there uh, are there too, I mean, what do, what does a school do when there's a, a, a bullying at school?
2: Um, okay. I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I um, again, Geraldine. Place um, we be psych coordinators, and we are on our be psych equivalent. We place our, our students in a lot of schools. And um, what's so interesting about the bully? Some of the schools has a no bully policy. So um, at the moment, what what they really, I think, it's it's such a great. Like you said, in in the in the earlier stages when you bullied, when doesn't if they had this thing? It makes them stronger. It makes them stronger. Um, the schools, I must say, what we work and our students are placed at the. Moment, I think have the very they are very well informed they have a bully policy um, they social work and counselors they have um, we create also some of our students had the whole a whole walk of um, the whole week they had a walk for bully anti bullying so creating awareness I think um, it's really good at the moment our students is doing this very well um, and again the schools are very on board I, we work in the northern suburbs I, I work in the northern suburbs and um, although it's still happens every day definitely um i think at the moment um the awareness um you just said uh, like this and because you will see that at the suicide rate for people that's bullying keep it su- and quiet has also been um yeah it's also making its appearance a while and i think that's really um, shook our community as well so um so if-
4: what well, well, just explain that again you you're saying that the prevalence of bullying greater prevalence of bullying and so more people Considering suicide, younger people. Is this is what you say?
2: Yeah. Mm. So we I had a case. Uh, yeah. So we had a case in, in our community that, uh, again, like Geraldine said, uh, if you can only tell someone, and this, he couldn't, he didn't tell someone, and, and, and it ended up very, very sad. So I think the schools that I work with is very well edu- educating the parents we have. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think. I think again, uh, my colleagues can help me. Um, that's really important is, um, people and, and you being a parent and myself being a parent, um, a mom, um, Someone is bullying me. Okay, what's you doing? I'll be there tomorrow at school. You're very defensive at the moment. Mm, like mm. I protect you like a like a like a lion. You want to protect your cubs. Mm. And I think when you go to school and we find out the stories at the moment, there's definitely um, the stigma about how can we help and support. We want to really protect. And I think the school at the moment they are looking both sides. They're really looking at um, the person that's been bullied, what's happening, the circumstances. So again, I can only speak from from my schools that I work with. They vary. They have a policy. They're that's
4: mm. a no, no bullying. Yeah, mm. so. I, mean, I, I, I mean, when I think about it now, I think that the kids who bully are obviously are dealing with their own sort of issues. And, and the bullying is an expression, is a symptom of what they're dealing with. Mm. You know, maybe it's a home situation where they feel powerless or, you know, there's some kind of issue going on at home and they, they then take out that, that thing on, on other kids.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, is, is, is that a, a case?
0: So it's not always the case, but most of the time I would say I have seen that that's the case. Um, there might be domestic violence in the home. There might not be domestic violence in the home, but perhaps there had been when the child was quite small. Mm. Because remember, you know, with, with kids, with they develop social and emotional, um, capabilities from when they're infants already. Mm. They, they can understand how mom is feeling already when they are a week old. Um, So they're so in tune with their parents' emotions and, and their environment as well and what's happening within that environment. So as they grow, they are learning from the environment and who they become is also part of, you know, their biological makeup as well as the environment. So those two, they kind of mix together and the child becomes a bully or the child does not become a bully. Because I don't want to say all kids that come from environments like that become bullies. You'll find that it's it's a 50-50. You never know. But I think it's up to the parents to actually, you know provide that environment where they teach their children how to cope coping mechanisms how to express themselves emotion you know emotionally verbal expression because when there's no verbal expression and words to use like i'm feeling angry i'm feeling sad i'm feeling frustrated when they don't have that emotional language then they resort to violent behavior so you take my pencil case so i'm going to beat you up and i'm going to start abusing you you know bullying Mm. you so it's 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 that and I am working with uh, currently with the child um, who did not even understand emotional language because his parents I mean his parents never taught that to him Mm. and I was actually happy that I'm working with a boy because a lot of these kids that come through are the girls who have Mm. been either bullied or raped but I'm it it makes me proud when moms bring their boys and say, this is the behavior I'm getting from this boy. Mm. And I hope all the moms that are listening right now and they have issues and behavioral problems that they're struggling with, with the teenagers, boys, or even 10-year-olds, 8-year-olds, then bring them early to the therapy session. There's so much we can do. Mm. So this boy is learning how to express himself. Then he's using less cursing words is not saying you know Mm. these (laughs) words that they use that i can't even repeat but now he's expressing himself Mm. and people listen to that Mm. but i find that a lot of other boys like teenage boys they think it's a sign of weakness Mm. Mm. so that's why we need an early kind of intervention
4: Mm. Mm, um I, i i I want to talk again. Uh, go back to the issue of parenting because I think um, there is, yeah, yeah. As you said, you, we our behaviours, are ex- expressions of our, how we've been socialised, how we've been brought up, our, our upbringing, and our sort of the experience that we get from our parents. And uh, again, I grew up in a time where corporal punishment was the the thing. You know, I mean, not even just corporal punishment, but like if you stepped out of line, you would, you know, you get. Bashed over the head with something, you know, and so, so there's, I, I guess, in this, in the, in this time and place where, you know, that's, that's not allowed. You're not supposed to do it. It's actually a, a, a crime to beat your, your child. Is it? Is that, is that, is it at that point now? You can go to jail. My, my, my daughter's accused me when I've said, I'll, I'm, I'll, will slap you. She's like, I'll call the police and you, <laughs> you go to jail. Yeah. But, um, um, does it, uh, uh, it, it should we be learning better parenting? I mean, we can always learn better parenting skills, but do you think that there's a, a real lack of real good parenting skills, particularly, I guess, in the case of, uh, I mean, kids learn... Their behaviors from us, you know. I mean, I, I learned some things from my, even though I didn't like getting beaten up, but I guess I thought that was the way you, you deal with issues, you know. If you, if someone annoys you, 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 you lash out because that's what I, what you learned. Is, is that changing at all? Or is, are people still, you know?
0: It's, it's a difficult one. And like, like you said, times have changed. So, the methods of discipline have kind of changed. I, I don't know if, if maybe Geraldine wants, wants to add on that. Um, but it's not that parents are not parenting their children. But it's they have to set certain boundaries, mm. and these, need, these boundaries need to be communicated with the child. So there needs to be communication with the child that this is not the right way of doing things and allowing. So back in the days, so I was also born back in the days, <laughs> but back in the days, you couldn't really, you know, say what you felt to your parents because mm. you're talking back. But now it's it's allowed, but don't talk back, obviously, but, you know, have a conversation. I think the parents nowadays are allowing their kids to have a conversation with them. Mm. But I, 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 I would not say that they are bad parents, but the structures, the family structures have changed. Mm. The single parent, you know, there's more the moms who are just single parents and some kids living with their grannies Mm. Um, and whereas back in the day we didn't find a whole lot of that Mm. Um, I might be wrong but uh, Mm. along those lines Geraldine do you have a
1: so no one actually gives you a manual to parent right (laughs) we study psychology we get a degree and someone tells us how to do these things parents are or learning and um, or just doing the best sometimes sometimes like you said it's what they were taught is the only thing they know parents also come with their own baggage and as much as they say I don't want to be like my mother or my father often those kind of things carry on to the next generation So there's lots of parenting skills and workshops and training but a lot of parents also feel like they're just surviving. Mm. They come from work, they barely have time to see the children so adding on this extra thing about doing a parenting course. So it's really about spending time with your child getting to know and not just putting your child necessarily in front of a television today is your child and often we do that as parents because it's difficult we don't have a lot of time Um, but it takes time to just spend with your child Mm. and to regularly be in touch with the child. Find out what your child's strengths are. Um, areas for development what is the things that make them happy so it's small things that you can do with your child and Mm. spending some quality time when you have the time I know everybody doesn't have the time every day but at least make a point of spending time with each of your children if you have more than one and not just often the one who gives us the most grief is the one that we spend the most time with Mm. and the other one sometimes gets a bit neglected but spend time with all your children Mm. and just Mm. get to know them Mm. and set boundaries like she said as well, Setting boundaries make children feel safe. Mm-hmm. Parents sometimes feel like they, they're child's best friend and so they don't want to set the boundaries mm-hmm. and it's really important. Children don't feel safe when they don't have boundaries. So setting boundaries is actually quite an important part of parenting.
4: Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as a parent, I'm I, my, my daughter's 12 years old now and so she's in a sort of, still a child but not Anymore a child, and you know she wants to do certain things. But I think no, I don't think so. You know, and uh, and so it's that phase, I guess it's going to go on for a couple of years longer. Um, and I guess also as a, as a as a young woman in the world dealing with issues of uh, you know social media and expectations and you know other friends and and um, all of those things, you know, appearance issues, I, I would guess, and 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 so. What, what, what as a as a parent of a, a tween, let's call it, would, would advice would would you give to to, to me? Like, uh, the, the, how, what what do, what do I need to, you know, what what can I do to boost her self confidence? I mean, she's an ama- amazing young woman, but often I find that she, you know, maybe she's not that as confident as she could be. What, what how do I deal with that?
1: I think that you also need to understand the world that she's in. And her experiences and all the different kinds Of pressures that she's faced Often we say don't care about what other people Say you know just be you Be the best you that you can be but for a teenager The friendship circle is Kind of the most important group at that stage So really understanding what are the Pressures that they're facing Why is it so important for her To do a particular thing And um, mm and getting understanding what's like around what the meaning is for for that child like we're always complaining with the kids get off your phones get off tech Mm, mm. Um, in some ways that's their life and we also need to know what about tech makes them want to be there all the time
4: Mm, mm. yeah yeah well I mean well
2: (laughs) (laughs) Adults
4: <laughs> too. No, no, no. no, I mean, no. you can phone
2: us, Ryan. We, you can phone uh, us. Fantastic.
4: Uh, that's good to know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next, the next few years. But yeah, but it's an amazing, it's an amazing experience to see someone, you know, go through these different phases. I, I guess you know, and 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 learning also to deal with it in a different way than than maybe it was dealt with with you. Because I mean, when I was a kid and I was teased, my mother's like, "Sticks and stones don't break your bones. Names will never hurt you." You know. And then you just, that's what you said to. Like, the, the bully or the, the, the guys who were teasing you. And that kind of gave you a sense of, well, you know, uh, this is not going to affect me in the way that you think it is. Uh, right in front of me, it's a first, is it your first radio interview? Yes. Uh, You're less nervous than, than before?
3: Not really. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, yeah, so uh, 18 years old, been singing since she was about 10, uh, performing, I guess, uh, uh, for audiences uh, back then already.
3: Yes, competitions
4: also. Okay, okay. So this is not your first competition. No. You you've been through the you you know you, you've been through the pressures of, of what that is and, and all of that yes. before. Uh, where, what, what is the context in which you 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 sing? Do you, you sound like you could be a church singer in the in the choir or no? Um, or
3: a... I've never made it into a choir, mm. even though I've tried out like many times. But I'm a solo. I'm the solo. Um, Vocalist for my school's band. Okay. So majority of the competitions I took place in was with my school.
4: Mm -hmm. Okay. And tell me, uh, what uh, what does uh, in in the context of your family? You said that your father is your is your is your producer. Yes. Yeah. And and what what has that been? They they've always supported your your talent.
3: They've always supported me since young, since before I even started music. Mm -hmm. Because I used to dance before I before okay. I started singing
4: okay and wh- wh- what are what are the future plans for you uh, Skylar?
3: No. Um at the moment I applied for talent agencies and at different academies for um, for music so I'm hoping to get into one of them
4: fantastic uh, uh, how many songs have you written so far um,
3: I haven't I don't actually know to be honest. <laughs> this I have like a book of just different pieces that I wrote. Yeah,
4: yeah. And if people want to find find your music, how, how would they find it if they um, wanted to if they wanted to support you, if they wanted to be a fan, where would they find you?
3: I recently started a SoundCloud. Okay. So I started a SoundCloud and I'm on Instagram.
4: Okay. I, I, I and it, 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 in, on Instagram, I think I went to your Instagram profile, you've got two profiles, right? You have one for music and one for...
3: Um, well, we recently removed the music account, so we're just going to use the main account mm. to push everything so that it's easier to find, easier to mm. track and things like
4: that. Okay, so that's the the one with more followers. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Uh, as, a, as a young person in in this sort of modern world, social media, do, do, how, how do you find social media as a, as a, as a kind of a thing in your among your friends or at school is it
3: um i re- i made a big deal out of social media because at school i wouldn't talk to people much and i didn't have much friends so on social media social media would be my friends until um i got cyber bullied and things like that so it's just you have to be careful on social media of what you post because it cannot be removed so
4: Mm, mm, mm. Do you think do you, do you think that people need more education, especially kids need more education around the, the 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 dangers of social media, Or the risks associated with it?
3: Yes, because not many people they don't really know what's going on and who is watching. Mhm. Mm,
4: mm, mm. Ladies and gentlemen, Skylar Kamaldin, who is going places. I'm going to say that again because I think uh w- would you agree with me? Uh
2: Yeah. 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 I have Goosey still. Um, I think she's such a wow. Um, I am amazed um, Such a, a beautiful um, young woman With mm. a beautiful voice And I'm so proud of her She's sitting here And you speak you ha- You're actually the voice For a lot of young girls That is going through The same thing Skylar And I think I'm so proud of you That you, you, you're you standing up And you're speaking out um, And thank you Thank you very much For thank doing you. this um, I still have goosies It's going to go away now um, <laughs> Your voice You're just creating awareness and, and young people Please follow Skylar On Instagram I'm going to do it now. Um, I think, yes, thank you so much for just um, getting it out there, that it's okay to talk and it's okay to be imperfect because if you're imperfect, we find your your perfect side, like in your song said. I think, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. still amazed. Mm-hmm. I'm going
4: gonna, I'm gonna to ask him to do a, a strange thing now because I think that uh, people, you you may not b- believe that that, that that is the voice of an 18-year-old. <laughs> Um, Go from 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 Cape Town. I know there's lots of talent in in Cape Town, but uh, I think Skylar's is is an exceptional talent. So I'm going to ask her again, just so that you know, it's not all uh, the things that people do in the studio. You know, uh, the levels and all of that kind of thing, and echoes and all that kind of. Just maybe to give us a taste of her voice a cappella, just in the studio like that. raw, so you know that this is no accident. It's not uh, technology. Can you, can you
3: do something yeah. again? <laughs> okay. You don't know, babe, when you hold me. Kiss me slowly, it's the sweetest thing. And it don't change. If I had it my way, you would know that you are... You're the coffee that I need in the morning. You're my sunshine in the rain when it's pouring. Won't you give it all to me? Give it all.
4: (laughs) Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Ladies and gentlemen, Skylar Kalamdin. Kalamdin, K-A-L-A-M-D-I-E-N. Just to, to be accurate, if you if you got it some, the other way around, it's uh, it's Kalamdin. So follow her. Uh, she's part of the Eon Group uh, talent show that's happening. Uh, Teen idols uh, happening at the Eon Group uh, Joseph Stone in, in Athlone, uh, which is uh, 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 quite a thing that's happening out there. Their, their final performance is on the 18th of December, I believe. And uh, in the meantime, you can follow her, Scarlett Kalamdin. Uh, on social media, Instagram and SoundCloud, I believe. Yeah, so we're talking all things uh, mental health uh, on this, uh, almost at the end of October, which has been Mental Health Awareness Month uh, in South Africa and in other parts of the world, where we are encouraging people to, I guess, be more open and be more... um, more comfortable, I guess, speaking about uh, issues of of mental health uh, in their own lives and in in the lives of others. Um, th- th- there's the thing of, I, I guess, uh, uh, the shame. I think part of the shame around men- mental health is the the fact that um, it makes you behave in in certain ways that people may not understand. And and I think when you don't understand how people, you know, if you can't understand someone's behavior, it's quite. It's quite scary sometimes i guess you know um how how, how does one how does one do de- how does i mean when it comes to 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 people going through issues w- w- what would be the the thing that that you would you you would do if you were someone close to them and you maybe suspected that they they were having issues do you is it, is it appropriate for you to approach them and say i think maybe you know you you need help or do you want to talk to me, or, or how, how would you how would you approach it as someone who's maybe not having that 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 experience, as a clinician
0: or as a family member,
4: as a as a family member.
0: I think it's always good to just talk about it. Uh, speak to the person, ask them. You know, I've or just mention that this is what I've noticed about you, or these are the changes that I've noticed. Can you let me know what's going on? Do you need help? And from there, you you will actually have some sense of what is going on with the person and whether they need help or not. And it's always good to have, you know, resources, which you can always get at any local clinic. Um, there's also, you know, publications on the Internet, but only the, uh, reputable publications where you can search for symptoms. You can search what, what could be going on. It's just your own... Um, You know, your own psychoeducation, but don't self-diagnose or don't diagnose the person, Hmm. but trying to get a sense of what is happening with them. I think that already helps and you know where to go from there. Hmm. Um, and then just seek the help
4: mm Hmm. Mm-hmm. um a, a few a few years back i, I, I developed a let's say let's say a, a passing interest in in psychology and i I read through some books a, a while back um it didn't grab me the way it's grabbed you you guys obviously but um i, I there, there's this this notion i think that a lot of people have i think that also maybe is part of the stigma that that, that that exists that there's a certain sort of normal kind of, uh, psychological state where that, that if you normal, a normal person, uh, not, so there's a, there's, the, either you, you're normal or you're crazy. You understand? And yeah. then, but I think that lo- what lots of people don't understand is that actually we are all a range of something in between. We always everyone's a bit off centre in some way, shape, or form. You know, we all have our quirks, and then obviously people will go off on you know in certain crisis moments or have a thing, something like which is quite a, like schizophrenia, which is a really serious problem. Uh, I, I, and when I read that, uh, I, I kind of kind of made me understand that you know uh, maybe I am a little I am I am a little bit crazy. <laughs> Most of my friends are a little bit crazy, and we've got issues, but it's not you know it's not a bad thing. Do you know <laughs> we all are on a range of of, of a kind of a spectrum? I, I would guess. Oh. Is that true, Geraldine? Would you Would you say that is it, hmm? I think
1: I think at different times we have different experiences. Um, we don't really like to use the word crazy mm. um, because that sometimes also creates Is stigma. The, um, mm. So we speak about mental health difficulties or psychological difficulties mm. because of the way it has been stig- because stigmatized. Because the way that mental health was stigmatized. So mm. at different times, you could have an off day, an on day, um, or a crisis could make you react or respond in a way that you would not normally. Mm. 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 Mm.
4: Mm. 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 No, true. I mean, I, I've yeah. I mean, I've been I've been in moments where, if I look back now, I was like, maybe I should have. You know, that was a really, that was really out of the ordinary for me. And I, if anyone had seen me, you know, I would probably have been been uh, you know. I would have been taken in to to, to have my, my, myself being dealt with because we, we you know life it throws things at us you know whether it's losing your job whether it's mm-hmm. a relationship that breaks up or you know some kind of pressure that you're under and so it's absolutely normal if you're not I guess it's norm, normal to react in, in in ways that that the ways that you I guess have learned your learned behavior, which may be learned from you know some trauma that your parents have passed on to you. I mean, I grew up in a in a in a home which was riven with domestic abuse. You know, my parents were always fighting, and uh, one of the ways that I coped with that, I guess, was to uh, isolate myself and and read a lot of books. Is one of the things I did, and um, you know, my parents, my parents were they—they they knew what they knew. You know, they'd learned their behaviors from their parents, and and so for them that was normal to, uh, you know, throw things at each other or argue all the time. So, but my response was to to uh, let's say isolate myself with books. And, and that had its own kind of impact. You know, I became very well read. I was just, I was kind of know-it-all, general knowledge uh, nerd at school because I, I read so much. And, and that was, but this was my reaction. When I got to my teens, uh, I, I started to write uh, and kind of, and I wanted to talk to you a bit about that, uh, because about writing as a tool, a coping tool, I, I would guess for especially teens who are going through issues. Is that something that, that you encourage?
0: Definitely, it's, it's very important. Especially so, only if it is safe to do so, because there are kids who might not be in. more like a protective environment where they can keep their diaries safe Mm. so I don't encourage it if it's going to land in the wrong hands and they end up being bullied um, because of what they've written Um, but I was just thinking about how Skylar started writing because of her own issues and how that turned into you know music and her singing her own um, lyrics writing her own lyrics um, how it translated to something so beautiful Um, so when I deal with teenagers at times and, you know, they talk about some of the issues that they have, I always encourage them to, to write down their feelings, what they're going through on that day. And there's something that we call automatic thoughts that, that you would usually, you would find in those diaries where there's always one specific thought about yourself that pops up Mm. and we deal with, with that issue because you might find that the theme of, of, the journal is that I'm useless, I'm hopeless. I will mm. never make it in life. I will always be abused. So then those things that, so it helps us in the therapeutic process as mm. well because as clinicians, we pick up on those on those details and then we start to just, you know, help the patient through that pain. And you'll see that as they they start writing again after you've helped them through all of those uh, schemas, if I can call it that, this, the the narrative starts to change, the the things that they start to write about you know it's it's more hopeful less than, less like less than i will never be anything mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's always good to write and now they can actually i'm sure skylar goes back to her diary and she looks where she started mm-hmm. and the theme of what it was about and how it's progressed which i which i think is amazing it's growth it's insight mm-hmm. and with more insight you make better judgments mm-hmm. about yourself about the world about other people mm-hmm. so it's an amazing tool mm. Fantastic. so we
1: also yeah. speak about depression being anger turned inward and so when you are actually writing and expressing yourself it's a way of getting that pent up emotions and that painful experiences out of you and out into the paper so that it doesn't hold you back as much as it may have mm. so mm. expressing it through journaling writing songs poetry that's all ways of helping you to deal with the pain Mm. And acknowledge that there's something that's happened And doesn't have as much power over you When you're
4: actually able to express it Yeah. I guess Excuse me One of the songs that uh, uh, I mean a lot of songs A lot of art is created out of pain And trauma as a response to it You know Uh, I think the the most um, Someone who's really Built a career out of some of the pain That she's gone through is Adele who, uh, who has just uh, come out with the, uh, the, the hit of the summer. Uh, what's the name of it? What's it called? Uh, Easy on me. Yes. Easy. <laughs> Got it. Easy on me, and South Africa has uh, South Africa has obviously taken it and turned it into a dance song with a remix. remix. But the song the song itself as uh, is uh, you know often her songs really are a response to some kind of heartbreak. Generally, it's some kind of issue. She's always on the phone and can't get through to someone. Uh, years later, and so so that seems to be the the the, the lane that she's chosen. Um, fantastic. I want to talk about the, what does one do if this is a career path uh, that you want to pursue? Uh, uh, um,
2: definitely um, sign up at Cornerstone, please. <laughs> That's the first thing you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that we definitely promoted Cornerstone as well, um, or in in the in this psychology field, when you when you a little girl you want to um, you want to get married in a white dress, and if it doesn't happen, your whole completely dream fall apart. Mm-hmm. And I think with psychology is the same thing. You after matric, I'm going to become a psychologist. It's, if I'm finished in class. I'm going to become a psychologist. What happens then? Masters is very difficult because he and, and and Geraldine and myself we can tell you it's difficult to get into Masters and then okay I'm just going to do something else so there's different routes and I think almost don't remote it, but our B-Psych equivalent program um, becoming the registered counsellor um, we have amazing our students is amazing the path that they start the amazing work that they do and even though it's because you can also tell Geraldine the waiting list sometimes is maybe two to three weeks or three months even um, with a registered counsellor the first part of, of or the first responder can, can step in so we have that first part of becoming a registered counselor. Um, we registered the HBCSA um, and then applying for your master's degree and definitely doing your, your doctors if you want to. It's just like you said, Ryan, I love reading so that's why I did my, my doctors. Um, but I think that's the path. Um, really just the, the, the psychology has so many lanes um, and Geraldine can and can definitely avenge for that as well. But I think what we, we promote is if you don't get into masters, you think, okay, <laughs> no, it's no problem. Um, yes, I think that's really important to know. There's different different lanes and, and still the, the main objective is to support and help people. Becoming a mental health practitioner is that your main objective is you will help and support people either via a registered counsellor, a counselling counsellor, education and a clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. You can also become a research psychologist because sometimes there's just too little information on different disorders and what kinds of treatments work. So research psychology is a very important part of psychology as well, often neglected, but it makes such a huge difference when we have good research, good data on what actually works, what are the different experiences and um, situations or disorders that people are struggling with predominantly and just having
4: good data and information. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, uh, Geraldine. Uh, I'm going to ask, we're almost at the end of the show. It may not seem that way, but we've got another show coming up in seven minutes, and so they have to come into the studio, and so we have to get out quite soon. Just quickly to wrap up, uh, final words from from you uh, in 30 30 seconds to listeners, something that they can take away and, and, and use in their own lives if you can just keep it short.
1: I think for me, just the because it's Mental Health Month, I want to just bring the message across that mental health really matters. It's not just about your physical health, but your mental health is just as important. Without mental health, you won't be able to enjoy your physical health. So really take the time to self-care. Find little things that you can do, little hobbies, um, things that you enjoy doing. Take note of the small things in life like You're breathing. If you're struggling with anxiety, take deep breaths. Be aware of what's going on in your body. Deep breath slows your heart rate down. It has all kinds of benefits for you. So if you can do nothing else, breathe deeply and just be aware of your surroundings. Mm -hmm. Bukazi. So my last words is that just be
0: you. Be the best version of who you are or who you want to be. And don't let anyone dictate to who, who you should be and who you should not be. As long as you are happy with yourself, um, then that's okay. You don't have to be anything that anyone wants you to be. Just be happy with who you are. Thank you. Dr. Haldines,
2: um I think my last words would be there isn't a thing such as a big trauma and a small trauma. Your trauma is just so important um, as, a, as you think like ah, oh, this is not something I want to talk about speak out, be your vo- own voice um, whatever you think it's, it's too big enough or too small enough yours is yours you're your own and in your world your trauma is big enough for you so um, I think the really thing is speak out because your world is also important and you are important
4: thank you so much Ladies and gentlemen, that was the fourth episode of Cornerstone Critical Dialogues uh, where we were looking at uh, mental health uh, awareness in South Africa at the end of Mental Health Awareness Month. In the studio with me, Ebokazi Ma- Mata. Mtati. Mtati, who is, uh, works uh, in, with communities in Kalicha and uh, all over the Western Cape uh, dealing with... Uh, people face-to-face about with some of the the issues that they're facing, Geraldine Franciscus, the head of psychology at Cornerstone Institute, uh, where you can go and study, and Geraldine will be your rock and your guide over there, and Odette, Dr. Odette Galdanez, psychology lecturer at at Cornerstone Institute, Uh, so you'll also encounter these people if you choose to study at Cornerstone Institute where you can learn to change the world through among others psychology we're gonna have to leave it there hope to see you next week right here